Well, we talked last time about the three heavens. Uh, do you remember what those are? What was the first one? The atmospheric heaven, yeah. It's the observable handiwork of God in creation that exists above the surface of the earth. The sky, the sun, the moon, the galaxies. G.K. Chesterton um, once said concerning heaven, science boasts of the distance of its stars, of the terrific remoteness of the things of which it has to speak. But poetry and religion always insist upon the proximity, the almost menacing closeness of the things with which they are concerned. Always the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's the atmospheric heaven. And then secondly, the heavenly realm or the heavenly kingdom of Satan. It's a spiritual place, not a physical place that exists on the earth. It's where Satan was cast down to and it's the realm where Satan is described as the prince of the air. It's into this enemy territory that God sent his son to do battle and to win the victory over sin and death. And then the third heaven, the highest heaven, or heaven of heavens, this is the dwelling place of God. It's where God's throne is. It's where Satan was cast down from when he attempted to ascend higher than God. It's where Jesus left in the incarnation to become a baby in Bethlehem and where he ascended to after his resurrection. And it's where he now sits at the Father's right hand and ever intercedes for us, his church. It's also the heaven where angels reside. It's where the Holy Spirit was sent from at Pentecost. It's where Christ will descend from at his second coming. It's where the believer's citizenship exists and resides. And finally, it's where God's word is eternally settled. It's important to distinguish that the highest heaven or third heaven, to distinguish it from the new heaven or eternal heaven. The new or eternal heaven will, will be established when God binds Satan on the earth. Dr. J.L. Williams noted in his study on heaven that no believer has entered the eternal heaven yet, just as no unbeliever has entered the eternal hell, Gehenna. Paradise, or the third heaven, is where believers' bodiless souls are now with Jesus, awaiting his second coming to be reunited or united with their glorified bodies, where they will meet him in the air and those believers who are alive when he comes will meet them there also. As Randy Alcorn points out, referring to Revelations 21, 1 through 4, <coughs> after the final judgment, God will remake the universe itself and then relocate the present heaven to the new earth where he will live with his people. God's ultimate plan is not to take us up to live with him in his place, which happens right now at death, but his plan rather is to come down after the final judgment to live with us forever in this place, the new earth. As Jesus is God incarnate, so the new earth will be heaven incarnate. This eternal promise is not inherited by flesh and blood, but by the resurrected and glorified sons of the resurrection, Luke 20, 36. 
Now, pondering the reality of these truths begs remembering again the words of C.S. Lewis, there are better things ahead than any we leave behind. When each of us first believed in Jesus and gave him our hearts, we were sealed with a promise in the Holy Spirit. We've discussed before this eternal transaction that takes place when a man or woman or boy or girl, those are the only options, trust in Jesus Christ completely for their salvation, for their freedom from sin and death. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 lays it out clearly for us when it says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Since we've placed our full weight of trust and faith in Christ, with this hope that we will be like Him and live in His presence for eternity, is it not natural that we focus our faith on what we will be like rather than what we are now? Colossians 1.27 says, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the glory spoken of here in Colossians? This word denotes honor, praise, dignity, splendor, brightness, majesty, and worship. Glory is the very nature of God. It belongs to Him, and glory is found in Him. And in Christ, God imparts His glory to His creation to be pleasing to Him, and to partake in His plan of completion for each of us, we must set our affections on Him. To be pleasing to Him, we set our affections on Him. Colossians 3.1, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 2.9-10, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. Colossians 3, 1-4 Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Y'all hear me okay over this thing? Okay. <clears throat> now, I doubt any of us this morning would argue with the statement that we need to be more mindful of heaven and to be more diligently setting our affections on things above where Christ is. Perhaps you've heard the old saying, he was so heavenly minded, he was no earthly good. <laughs> yeah, you may know someone in your life that you might have tried to apply that to, but, and perhaps, you know, it's possible to puff oneself up enough as being spiritually above others but it's highly unlikely that anyone here this morning suffers that delusion. 
Rather, if you're like me, we struggle more to do the discipline that is required to see the fruit He desires. <laughs> to do the discipline that's required to see the fruit He desires. This, I believe, is where a new focus on what lies ahead of us can generate a great reward for us in the here and now. After all, for the believer, heaven is not pie in the sky by and by. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom has already come in Christ. His will will be done on earth as we become an impartation of the incarnation. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what do I mean by that? <laughs> Jesus is God incarnate. He became a man, but He was fully God. And He has imparted to those who belong to Him His life, His nature, through the Holy Spirit. As we submit daily to the work of the cross, dying to our own will, and yielding to His will, we will be transformed into the man and woman of God that walks in heavenly grace and mercy, giving life to others desperately in need of the Savior. This transformation can only take place if we are submerged in Scripture and submitted to the Holy Spirit. And it cannot happen outside of the fellowship and authority of biblical church relationships. Lone Ranger Christians don't mature and they don't grow. I say all of this morning to emphasize the benefit to us simply of thinking more about heaven. When we think about heaven, it's usually in the terms of pearly gates, uh, golden streets, no more sorrow, no more pain, etc., right? Are these ideas or images based on biblical truth or are they simply wishful thinking? Well, let's look at some biblically definitive concepts of what the new heaven will be like. Now, because the eternal heaven is indescribable and incomprehensible, 1 Corinthians 2.9 and 2 Corinthians 12.1-4, God could only give us some general characteristics about it because our mortal minds would be blown <laughs> if we saw it in its entirety. But what He shared with us in His Word about the eternal heaven should excite us and fill us with expectation of what He's prepared for those who love Him. So what are some of the things the Scripture reveals about heaven? First, Hebrews 11, 14 through 16, in talking about the men and women of faith in the Old Testament, tells us that the eternal heaven or new heaven is a city prepared by God for the righteous. It says, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now, this city is described in various and very specific ways in John's account of the vision of heaven that he received from an angel of the Lord in Revelations 21 and 22. It's described as a new heaven. It's called the holy city. New Jerusalem, a bride adorned for her husband. 
tabernacle of God. God Himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a tender thing for God to say. There will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain. There will be twelve foundation stones with the apostles, the names of the apostles of the Lamb. <clears throat> there will be walls of precious stones, twelve gates of pearl, golden streets like transparent glass. It's hard to imagine. The glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp, the Lamb is the lamp. There's a river of water of life coming from the throne of God. There's a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit on each bank of the river. His bondservants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night. There will be no sun or moon because Jesus will be the light. In this new heaven, the resurrected faithful followers of Christ will reign with Christ forever and ever. Revelation 22.5 How exciting for us to realize that our life stories will not end. There will be no final chapter of your story because of the grace of God. Listen to the message that came to John in this beautiful city. These are the words of Jesus from Revelation 22, 12 through 17. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the angel said, Blessed are those who wash their robes, for they that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Then Jesus said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. <laughs> let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Certainly we see from Revelations that the new heaven will be a marvelous and amazing place of beauty and blessing, primarily because God will be there and we will see Him. Heaven will not only be a glorious and beautiful place of blessing and privilege, it will also be a place of responsibility. Remember in the list of what the city of God will be in Revelation 21 through 22 that his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In the new eternal heaven, we will serve. John Stott, the great evangelical teacher and writer in his book, what Christ thinks of the church said this regarding our responsibilities in heaven. It seems fitting that it should be so. He who has learned to keep Christ's work in his life will continue to do them in the next. He who has come to rule his own passions on earth will rule over people in heaven. 
He who has allowed Christ's kingdom to be set up in his heart, undisputed, will share its further sway beyond this age. Now to understand this truth should prompt us all the more to labor in faith, trusting in the mercy and grace and provision of God to complete the good work that he's begun in us until Christ comes. Revelation 21, 11 and 23 tells us that heaven is a place filled with the glory of God. Psalm 16, 11 tells us that God's presence is a place filled with joy. Heaven is a place of blessedness and rest. Revelation 14, 13. And Psalm 16, 11 also says that heaven is a place of intense pleasure. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Reverend Billy Graham said of heaven, the most thrilling thing about heaven is that Jesus Christ will be there. I will see him face to face. Jesus Christ, or as Billy would say, Jesus Christ (laughs) will meet us at the end of life's journey. Heaven doesn't make this life less important. It makes it more important. In the book, The World of C.S. Lewis, he's quoted, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. (laughs) The reality to the believer in Christ is that this world is not our home. We are sojourners. We're foreigners. We're in a foreign land. Heaven will be glorious not only for what will be present there, but also for what will not be there. There will be no unrighteousness, no tears, no pain, no sickness or death, no mourning, no curse. All judgment will be passed and the wrath of God will be poured out. No hunger or thirst. We will be satisfied completely in Jesus. No sun, no heat, no night, no need to sleep as our glorified bodies will never tire but we will find rest. No marriage. (laughs) We are fulfilled in the marriage of the Lamb. No temple, because we will be in the presence of God. In closing this time this morning, I'd like to consider a couple more of C.S. Lewis's thoughts regarding what heaven will be like and what we must be to know it. He said, To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he's begun to save you already. (laughs) Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven heaven (coughs) is already in you. (coughs) Lewis also said, the mold in which a key is made would be a strange thing if you'd never seen a key. (laughs) The key itself would be a strange thing if you'd never seen a lock. Your soul has a curious shape because it's a hollow made to fit a particular swelling in the infinite contours of the divine substance. That's a heavy line. 
or a key to unlock one of the doors in the house with many mansions. Your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it. <laughs> made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. Let us think often of heaven. <laughs> Let's pray about heaven. Study the scriptures concerning heaven and prepare our hearts for heaven. For he is coming. And when he comes, it will happen quickly. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Take courage, brothers and sisters. No matter what trials and temptations or tribulations we're experiencing now, there are better things ahead. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you this morning for your word and the amazing points of glory that are revealed in it. The things that you've revealed about heaven because you want us to know, you want us to anticipate, to be enthusiastic about, to be prepared for. I thank you, Lord. As Jessica said, you are in the process of creating this new heaven that will come because you're doing a work in each of us and you've promised to perfect it until you come. We know in this life, Lord, we will not be perfect. But God, we desire to be moving in that direction in obedience to you. As the brother and friend that gives us advice on how to live, Lord, may we be wise enough to receive it and do it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you've instilled in each of us already a bit of heaven, a glimpse, a gleam, a glimmer, and we desire more. Help us to set our minds on things above where Christ is. I thank you, Lord, that the word tells us that we are seated with you in heavenly places. Teach us what that means. We ask you to do heart surgery on each of us that needs it. If there's sin that needs to be confessed, Lord, may we today make it right with you. I thank you that in Christ we've been given a victory over sin and death. As we've said many times, the problem with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. And God, this morning we crawl back on it. We ask you to have us completely Continue the work you've begun in us, that you would be glorified in and through us. And I thank you for the encouragement, the power of your word. I thank you for the promise of heaven. I pray that we might be a, a, a glimpse of it in the lives of people that don't know about it. That they would see something in us that is otherworldly. And all these things, Lord, that we've discussed and that we are praying for would be that you would be glorified for you alone are God. You are God and I am not. So we thank you this morning for fellowship. We thank you for encouragement for one another. We thank you for worship and music and something to sing about. We thank you for the truth of your word. We give you glory in Jesus name. Amen.